who doesn't know what this is? <laughs> and all the golfers in the hand raised, raised all the, in, in the house raised their hand. Okay. So obviously this is a golf stick. It's a driver. It's the biggest stick in your golf bag. Okay. So this is not a good illustration for Mother's Day. <laughs> Nobody should be talking about golf on Mother's Day, right? But I thought I would get your attention anyway. Now, usually this is the only uh, stick that you use when you start the hole, when you drive off for the hole. You drive the ball. And if you mess up, if the ball goes in the bush, in the water, you know, if you play Rambo golf like I do, it's in the water or in the bush. Sometimes you get a do-over, a second chance. It's called a mulligan, okay? Depends who you're playing, playing with, you know? If you're playing with people like, you know, David and Dennis and Rico, they've got too much money on the game. So they don't give away anything. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding with them. Just kidding. But um, do-overs, do-overs, second chances. You know, I always find that when I get something new in my golf bag, whether it's shoes or even new golf balls or a glove or something, if it's something new, I play better. It's like I don't know what it is. So I keep buying myself stuff. No, kidding again. Uh, but it, the, tru the truth is, if I can get excited about what's coming, I look forward to it and I do better. Yeah. If I'm not excited about what's coming, I do worse. I do bad. You know what I'm saying? How many of you know if you're looking forward to something, you do better? And, and this is part of the problem when you do tests and exams. You're not looking forward to them. So you've got that to blame when you don't really do well. You can go home, you know, when you were a kid and say, Mom, I didn't look forward to it. I was a strange kid. I looked forward to the exams. I was really strange. Because I always felt that the exam was a test of my knowledge and I felt like I'm going to show you how much I know. And when we used to get five to five out of eight questions to score, I would do them all. I would do all. And get them all right. I was actually brilliant. If you didn't catch that. I've got a very, very high percentile in school, and uh, loved school. Isn't that crazy? Loved it. Would go back tomorrow. <laughs> Not. <laughs> but how many of you could do with something new in your life? A change. S something different to where you are. Okay, the four of you raised your hand. Listen up, okay? <laughs> this message is for you. A change. You know the songs that we did today? I was just... I just marveled because I don't know what Cindy and Drea have chosen. And I, I mean, I, I'm watching those and the words of those songs were so amazing. 
about God doing new things and God bringing about change and chains breaking in your life and God healing and Jesus making a way. And I was, like, I was getting so excited listening to those songs and just the words were just ministering to me so much about change. So this morning, my title is, as you've already read, Second Chances, Second Chances. You know, remember Peter? Jesus comes walking in the water. Peter says, hey, if that's you, tell me to come to you. What is Jesus going to say? No, it's not me. You know, he, of course he's going to say it's me. So then he's going to say, come. So Peter gets out. He's walking in the water. Look at me. Look at me. I'm walking on the water. And he's walking to Jesus and everything's going fine. And the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing all over the place. They were before he got out the boat. They didn't start when he got on the water. But he's walking towards Jesus and suddenly the circumstances, the wind and the waves, take his focus away from Jesus. And what happens is he begins to sink because he's now got attention on his circumstances. His, His focus is no longer on Jesus. It's on the circumstances. And Jesus reaches out to him. When he calls on Jesus, he reaches out. Jesus picks him up. And most people don't realize this, but Peter got to walk on the water twice. Because the Bible says that they went back to the boat. So Jesus was walking with him back on the water, back to the boat. Peter got a second chance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He reached out by faith. He did something that had never been done before, and he failed. Well, he might have taken a few steps, so you can't really say he failed. But he succeeded at the end of the day, getting back to the boat. Isn't that right? With Jesus' help, we can overcome what is sinking us and the circumstances that we're seeing. We can get to walk on the water again. We can get back to that place. Peter, again, he's you know, one of my favorite apostles. Reminds me so much of me. Always putting his foot in his mouth. You know... Th- Speaking before he thinks, not that that's true. Do you remember he said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember that? And then a moment later, he says, no, you're not going to go to the cross. And Jesus says, get there behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking about the devil who'd influenced him. But there he is, big mouth. One moment up, he's high. Next minute, he's he's down. Jesus says, you're going to deny me. He says, no, never going to happen. Not going to deny you. Well, how many know he denied him? Three times he denied him. So here is the second chance Jesus gets to speak to Peter. And he says, do you love me? After, G- after Peter had said, I don't know you, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. Peter got what? A second chance. Even though he denied the Lord. Now listen, church, listen carefully to me. There was a time after I got saved I was a young believer, even though I was spiritual, baptized in water, and things were not going well. And I questioned whether God was even true. I questioned, Jesus, did you really love me? Is this the way you treat somebody who you love? Seriously, am I supposed to believe that you're a God that loves me and you cares for me? And you know, it wasn't long after that that I had to repent of my unbelief and repent of my doubt. But God gave me a second chance. How many of you have had second chances? How many of you had second chances actually walking with Jesus? 
You drifted away, heart got cold, God brought you back. So we're all in the same boat, right? You see, tragedy, devastation, and loss can leave us asking questions. And we're all, all of us have had devastation and loss and tragedy. And you ask questions like, what am I going to do? Who can help me now? How will I survive this? Why did God let this happen to me? Where was God if he loved me so much? What good is this nightmare going to bring in my life? Is there an exit off this freeway of pain and suffering? These are questions that we ask. I believe today the God of hope is going to restore hope in you and faith will be birthed because you'll understand today God wants to give you a second chance no matter what you're going through. So we can all testify that we have had terrible experiences, unthinkable circumstances, maybe things that you haven't shared with other people. But God delivered us from them all. And here we stand. Can you say, here I stand? Come on, say it again. Here I stand because of the love of God. Amen. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning. It is Mother's Day. I'm going to let you out early. Um, About Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. It's a wonderful, wonderful love story. Book of Ruth. It's only four chapters. You can read it very, very quickly. So Naomi... Um, and her husband and her two sons are forced to leave Israel, um, go over the Dead Sea to the land of Moab because of a severe famine in the land. People couldn't survive. So they go to this, they're strangers, they're foreigners in this land, and shortly after getting there, Naomi's husband dies. That is tragic. I mean, this is so unexpected. She's got young boys. Well, as they are grow old enough, they marry Moabite women. And we think that everything is going to be fine. But within a period of 10 years, from the time that she arrives there in Moab, both of her sons die. So now she's lost her husband and both her boys. There are three widows now in the story with no man to care for them. Can you imagine the tragedy, the feeling You have lost somebody close to you, whether it's a parent, a spouse, or a child. And that pain is almost unbearable. She lost three. She's devastated by this. And she hears that back in in Israel, God is going to bless them again. Famine is broken. It's 10 years. So she decides, I'm going to return. So she says to her two daughters-in-law, I'm going to go back. You return. You go to where you've come from. Go back to your home. The one daughter uh, decides to go back, and I'll continue with with Ruth's story. But, you know, Naomi cannot be blamed for what happened to her. 
It wasn't her fault. It was something that happened by life. Now, in life, sometimes we are responsible for what happens. We make bad decisions, and they come back to bite us. On the other hand, people do things to us that cause us pain and suffering. Shana's story this morning is amazing. It's perfect, what I'm talking about. How other people can impact your life. You know, 70% of the world's population are not Christian. So we can't expect them to behave like Christ. So if somebody in the world goes out and shoots up a school and kills Christian children, or they get drunk and drive and kill people, while, they, or they get high and they have an accident and they kill people, we can't lay the blame of that event at God's feet. We can't say, where was God? These people are not Christians. They don't love God. They're not listening to God. They're living like the world. They do whatever they want to, and they reap the consequences. Unfortunately, sometimes those bad things hurt Christian people. You know, I mean, it's a sad thing, but you know, 50% of Christians live like that. They live like the world. That's why the world says there's so many hypocrites in church. And yes, they are responsible because they should be living like Christ. And that is much more painful when a Christian does something to us and hurts us. Back to our story. So <clears throat> Naomi hears that things have changed in Bethlehem and she decides she's going to return. But Naomi is so traumatized by what she has gone through, the loss that she's experiencing, she begins to blame God. Let me read what Naomi said in Ruth 1.20. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune to me. So Naomi's name means sweet, but she decided, don't call me sweet anymore. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. And it wasn't for some time later in her life before she sees the hand of God beginning to move in her circumstances and changing things and bringing things back together. So her daughter, Ophrah, not Oprah, Decides to go back to her family. But Ruth says, I'm going to stay with you. And she makes this profound statement of love and devotion. Let me read it to you. Ruth says to her mom-in-law in Ruth 1.16, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. So where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried, and may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Now, Ruth did not know her future. She did not know 
whether it was going to be better going back with Naomi or staying and going back to her real mom. But one thing was sure when we read this is that she loved Naomi so much that she wasn't willing to go through life without her. She had decided, I am going to be with you. I am not going to go through life alone. You know, there's people in your life that you feel like that about. I'm not willing to go through life alone. I want to be with you. Doesn't necessarily have to be a spouse. It can be a friend. And it's good to have friends like that. Ruth's vows to her, this devotion that she showed, this commitment to her mom-in-law, the words of this is so weighty that they are actually still being used today in marriage ceremonies. Listen to these words. Listen to these words. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die and I will be buried there. Isn't that a great marriage commitment? I said to Jackie when we got married, I said, I want you to understand something. Divorce is not an option. It's not an option. She came from a broken home. So to her, divorce was an option. But to me, I had something inside of me that said, I'm never going to leave you. No matter what. And today we celebrate because exactly four years ago today, Mother's Day, she was on death row, on life support, on a ventilator. Was it nine or 11 days? Remember? I think it was 11 days. The doctor said there's no hope. You need to let her go. But four years later, Miss Beautiful Jackie, on Mother's Day, is with us. This statement by Ruth actually represents salvation. Think about it. She's, she's a foreigner that doesn't know God. They're out of covenant. And she says, your God will be my God. She makes a covenant commitment that the faith of Naomi will be her faith. This is where we, she, she, she comes from a foreign situation where she accepts Jehovah God, the God of Israel, as her God. That is salvation today. That's exactly what we do. Now, Ruth's name meant pleasantness. But there's something about Ruth's character that we see that is so phenomenal. The humility of Ruth is something that we don't really see in a lot of characters in the Bible. Because her humility, she ex in her humility, she accepts Naomi as a mentor, but she becomes and accepts the responsibility of a caregiver. I'm going to care for you. This young girl, I'm going to care for you, mom, whatever it takes. I'm going to be there for you. You can count on me. You turn around, I'll be there. So they return to Bethlehem. They get there, and they have nothing. They, they're living on the land. 
they have nothing. So Ruth is forced to go into the fields and to glean the fields behind the harvesters. Now, what that meant was that when the harvesters harvested the barley that, that was the crop at the time, and they left any scraps, that they missed any scraps, then there would be usually women who would come behind and would pick up the scraps. Now, <clears throat> they could be servants of the owner, and then there's another group that come even behind them. They're called gleaners. They would glean the field. They would find any scrap left behind and put in a little bag, and they would go home and live off the scraps. And that is what Ruth became. She went to work in the fields as a gleaner. She just happened to end up working on Boaz's land. Perchance. In God, there's no perchance. There might be pachanga, but there's no perchance. Boaz arrives. He's a wonderful, godly man. He treats all his servants with great respect. And he sees this young girl in the fields gleaning. And he says, who's this? And they say, that's Ruth. That's Naomi's child that's come. And he says, you know what? Let her glean with the second group. That is the ladies working for him. Not the third group. Go in and glean in the third, with, with, with that ladies. And he says to the young men, don't you dare touch her. Don't you dare touch her. And then he says to the reapers, Drop a few little extra things so she can get a real bag full on purpose. And then when the time came for food, she had no food. She had no water. He said to her, come and eat with me. Come and sit at the table. And she was overcome with his kindness. She didn't know who he was, had no idea. And then he says to her, come dip some bread here, eat with me. And then if you're thirsty, drink the water that's already been pulled from the well. Go ahead and drink it. She had no water. She had no well. You know, work from, from dawn to dusk with no food, no water, with the danger of young men attacking her. You understand her predicament? She had to believe there's no further way, there's no further down I can go. This has got to be the end of it all. How much, how much worse can things get? And you may be just in that predicament, not cleaning fields, but you're in that predicament where you're asking, how much worse can things get? And you know, you're hiding it from other people. You don't tell them about it. The pain is so deep. Your problems are so deep, you don't want to talk about it. Suppressing it, you're saying, I don't know, God, if I can keep going. I don't know. Where are you in my life? Do you honestly expect me to be, to live, to do? So Ruth goes back to her mom, mom-in-law Naomi. Naomi says, where have you been? Where, where, did, you, where did you glean? Because she brought a nice, nice bag of stuff back, of barley. And he said, I ended up in this man Boaz's fields. And Naomi goes, are you kidding me? Do you know who that is? No. Well, he is, a one, he is a relative one step removed. So he's the second in line. He's a relative. And uh, he's a wonderful man. 
And he was really impressed with, with Ruth. So <clears throat> she says to him, I tell you what, I think it would be a good idea if we get him to notice you. So well, how are we going to do that, Mom? Well, they'll be threshing tonight on the threshing floor. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to bathe. You're going to put on your best clothing. You're going to put some perfume and oil on yourself. You're going to make yourself look real pretty. And then you're going to go down. And after they finish threshing, they're going to eat and they're going to drink. Everyone's going to be happy. But you hide in the shadows. Don't, don't let anybody know that you're there. And then when Boaz goes to sleep, you go up and crawl in at his feet. Undo his feet and lie down at his feet. He said, yes, mom. So mom is mentoring her. Mom is giving her guidance in the situation what to do. She does that. She, exactly what she says. She lies down and Boaz wakes in the middle of the night, startled by this young woman, beautiful woman lying at his feet. And says, who are you? And she said, I'm Ruth, your servant. She humbled herself at his feet. She calls herself his servant. And Ruth says to him, just take a little bit of your garment and cover me with it. Just a little bit of your garment. Protect me. Just cover me a little bit. And Boaz is such a gentleman. He says, don't let anybody know you spent the night here because that would not be good for either of us, especially not for you. But he decides when he finds out now that Naomi wants to sell her land because she can't live anymore, that he wants to buy the land or redeem the land, which was actually the law, Moses' law. But there was a, a relative closer to Naomi than him. So he goes before the city council and he calls this other relative and he says, listen, Naomi wants to sell her land. Will you redeem it? And the guy says, that's a nice piece of land. Yes, I'd like to redeem it. And then he says, Boaz says, well, with the land comes Naomi and Ruth. You have to care for them, both the widows. And he said, yeah, not so much. <laughs> so he backs out of the deal. And then in front of everybody, Boaz says, okay, I want you to hear this that I'm going to redeem the land and I'm going to take Naomi in and start caring for her and I'm going to take Ruth as my wife. This is an amazing story because, at, you know, just a few days ago, they were absolutely destitute. Now Boaz, out of love and because of his great character and he's just noble, he's a very wealthy man, well-to-do man. He steps in and rescues them by buying the land and keeping it in the family because he's a relative. Keeps it in the family. And here's another thing. This is, I mean, those days, the ancient rules are kind of weird. But what happens is he marries Ruth and they have a child. He's much older than Ruth. And would have been a great catch for Naomi. Like, yo, you know. But Naomi decides, I mean, he's got bucks, he's got everything. He's money man, he's wealthy, he's a great guy. You know, he loves God. But Naomi decides for her daughter-in-law to rather marry him. And of course, 
This is an amazing thing that happens because they have a child. And you see, having a child meant that the family, the, the, the deceased husband of Naomi, now has offspring, which would have been lost had, those, had Ruth married somebody outside of the relative group. The, the family line and heritage, the husband's name would have been lost and gone. Now they have a child, they save their heritage. And the child's name is Obed. Now Naomi has a grandchild. And Ruth, who had no children from her deceased husband, has a husband that loves her, that's wealthy, that's a God-fearing man. And going to be a great father. What is important about Obed? Well, he's the grandfather of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. That is where the lion of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, came through. God's plan to bring Messiah through to David's family meant that God reached down into Ruth and Naomi's life when they could not see God, when they had no way, when things were so bad. God was working behind the scene to bring about a change, to bring about a second chance in their life. You don't know. What God is doing for you. You don't know. Don't give up on him. He's bringing about a second chance for you. You know these dear ones. Who've been on drugs and lived on the streets. They know what I'm talking about. Second chance. They know what I'm talking about. God is the God of the second chance. What have we learned today? We've learned, number one, no matter how bad our situation or our circumstances, God did not cause them. Number two, God never forgets us. Even if we forget Him, even if our circumstances are so bad and our pain is so bad, He never forgets us. God is working out a plan to give you a second chance in life. We see Boaz helping Ruth. What do we learn from this? Help others. Help others. You may be the vehicle God is using. To bring about the second chance in somebody else's life. Don't always be thinking about yourself. Think about how can I help? What can I do? Another thing we learned is that God's help may come disguised as hard work.
Everybody say gleaner. gleaner. Say it again. Turn to your neighbor and say gleaner. Just because you have to work, just like the woman whose oil was multiplying, and then he said, go out and sell the oil. She had never sold the oil before. She'd never been in business before. She'd never been a salesperson before, but she had to go to work. Sometimes you think, well, God, you can do it. I don't have to work. Suck that up and think again. God is not against work, even if you are. Just because he said, by the sweat of your brow, you will, you will raise this. And it didn't mean he was against work. Yeah. It just means it might be tough. Right. Live a life of expectancy. Yes. Yes. Live a life of expectancy. The solution that God is bringing about may come through your humility. Ruth had to humble herself, work the fields, and then lie at his feet and call him master. I'm your servant, whatever you want to do. She had to humble herself. You thought you couldn't get any more humble because of your circumstances. Yes, you can. You see, your circumstances are not humbling you. You humble you. In your circumstances, people can be proud. But if you really want God's help, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And He will lift you up. (laughs) Live by faith. Because you don't know what God has got waiting for you. You don't know. Keep on believing. Keep on believing. The last thing we learned was... God is going to do something new and unexpected. Amen. Something new and unexpected. Amen? Amen? I want us to stand and I want us to close our eyes just for a minute. I want you to do something. You see, in your situation, whatever you're facing, keep your eyes closed. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're having to deal with, people may not know, you know, God knows what you're dealing with, what would it look like if that thing changed? What do you see on the other side of what you're facing? Do you see more of the same? Do you see yourself never getting out of the situation? Remember, faith has to have hope because hope is what you put your faith to. Hope is your imagination. Hope is what you see with the eye of faith. What you expect. Now, if you expect to continue as you are, you will. But what about just for a moment? Can you imagine God moving on your behalf and whatever sickness you're facing, you're healed from? Can you see yourself on the other side of that sickness? If you're in financial difficulty, can you see yourself on the other side being debt-free? What would that feel like? What would that look like? If your marriage is a mess, what would it look like 
if there was harmony and there was that commitment, your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. I will die with you. I will love you forever. If you're addicted to drugs, no one knows about it. What would it look like if you were free? Can you see yourself free? As we sang today, we call on the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, every chain breaks. Everything holding us in bondage falls to the ground. Every sickness is healed. As we call on the name of Jesus, He changes everything. Jesus changes everything. My dear friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, just for a moment, let your emotions go. Think about Ruth married with a child. She never had a child with her first husband. And he died and she thought that was the end of it. But God gives her a wonderful second husband who's wealthy and who loves her and who honors her and gives her a child. What is missing right now that God can do for you? Can you see yourself just for a minute and believe that God has given you a second chance, that God has made a change, that God is working on your behalf? Can you lift your expectancy? Can you? Can you feel just for a minute? What it feels like to be beyond where you are. To be out of the chains where you are. To be in the perfect will of God for your life. To be loved and cared for by a loving Father. Not have to fear. Walk in dread. Where's your next dollar going to come from? How are you going to pay the rent? Will your car make it to work? For a minute, for a minute, say, God, I believe. God, I believe. You have to feel what it feels like to believe. Go beyond those emotions that have brought pain. And depression to you. Begin to feel what it feels like. For the sunshine of His love. For the rain of heaven. Deliverance from the Father. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to speak to all the Ruths and Naomi's here today. All the mothers in the house. God's got your name. He's got your number. And He loves you. In Jesus' name. Just say, I receive it, Lord. I receive it. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful Mother's Day. Yes. Bless the mothers, the grandmothers and great-grandmothers. And Lord, let this word sink in the hearts of every person that they might put their faith in you, the God of the second chance. Yes. No matter what we've done, give us that second chance today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I thought it was going to be a short message. It's your fault. It's your fault. You can't blame me. I'm the 50% of the Christians that are doing bad things. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I love you guys. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. If you need prayer, I'm going to have the, the prayer team come out. If you need prayer for anything, please come and have them pray for you, okay? We love you, and we will see you next Sunday in Jesus' name. Amen? Yes, sir.